morning. We welcome you to Bible class here at St. Paul's and especially those of our listening audience as we continue the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. And uh, I'm the fill-in today. Um, it's a long story, but we won't go into that. So we want to continue with uh, uh, the Gospel of Luke. Now, we're to the place in Luke where the ministry of Jesus is really beginning. And we see that also in Matthew and in Mark. And there's always that, uh, that point. We've been through the baptism of Jesus, and that, of course, is uh, his anointing. And then we've been through the temptation where he uh, overcomes Satan's temptations. And then uh, the ministry, uh, his work of ministry begins. Now, if we look at Matthew, uh, it's very uh, clear when he starts, and, and it specifically says, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in Mark, it's much the same thing. We get to the same point, and all of a sudden it says, And he said, The time is uh, fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So now, how does Luke introduce this? Well, there are two um, verses. Uh, before we get started, where uh, Luke is telling us what's going on. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And the other Gospels relate that too. He went to Galilee. And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. So, at this point, his ministry is just beginning, and the reports concerning him are positive. Okay? They're positive. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So there are four points that are being made here. He went back to Galilee. His reputation is going out to all the country. He preaches in the synagogues. And he's glorified by all. So those four points are made. Now keep in mind that he was in ministry three years. And they're, uh, they've tried to name the three years, and, and they're the year of obscurity, the year of popularity, the year of opposition. So we're in the very beginning. Things are just now being said, spread about him. 
Now, Luke gives a further um, description of how Jesus began his ministry. Okay? And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. All right. So he goes back to his hometown. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. All right. Now, let's talk a little bit about how they conducted the synagogue services. If they always had a reading from the Pentateuch, five books of Moses, and they always had a reading from the prophets. If there was a guest rabbi there, that rabbi would be invited to read, and you read standing in front of the people, and then you would be invited to sit down and in a seated position give an interpretation of what you had just read. That is what is happening here. Jesus, as a guest rabbi, went on to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. Okay, so he's going to do the prophetic reading. And he finds this specific, these specific verses in the prophet Isaiah. It is chapter 61. Okay. These are verses from chapter 61. Now, um, let's read what he read from Isaiah, and then we'll talk about it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All right, those are the words he read from Isaiah 61. Now, there's several things, a lot of things we need to talk about. First of all, it says he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. But notice how what he reads is in the first person. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Now, you've got to remember, Isaiah wrote these words 
700 years before Jesus read them. This does not happen by chance. If you want a specific example of divine inspiration, here it is. Here it is. We actually see, and as we think through this, who inspired Isaiah to write? The Spirit. God. And yet God is speaking specifically, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Okay? When Isaiah wrote this, they'd believed that this would be the Messiah. But the fact is that it's first person. The Messiah is speaking. This passage was written for this day. This passage was written so Jesus could read it on this day. That's not chance. That's not chance. The Messiah does not only read the word, he fulfills the word. So, let's see what it says he's going to do. First of all, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Anointed me. That was his baptism. The Spirit descended as a dove upon him. The Father declared, this is my Son, beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That was his anointing. But what's he anointed to do? And by the way, the word anointed, Christ. That means anointed one to proclaim good news to the poor. This should not be interpreted as lack of wealth. The poor is anyone who is under the bondage of sin, death, and Satan. That is what poor means here. It is a spiritual condition, not physical. So to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to uh, proclaim liberty to the captives. They are captive to sin, death, and Satan. Now those are both proclamations. And recovering of sight to the blind. The blind are those who cannot see spiritually as well as physically. This is the one phrase that seems to also deal with miracles. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Okay. So in other words, it is a ministry of release. 
released from sin, released from Satan, released from death. That's what the ministry is going to be all about. Notice how many times the word proclaim is used. Okay? It is a proclamation. It is a proclamation. Jesus is going to bring what God wants into this world. What God wants, the way God wants it to be into this world. A new order. And then the last is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, what is the year of the Lord's favor? If you go back in the Old Testament, you will find that every 50 years, they were to celebrate the Jubilee year. In the Jubilee year, Many things were supposed to take place. If you had a debt, it was forgiven. No matter how big or small, a debt was forgiven. All houses and land that had been negotiated between families for business purposes, was returned to the original owner. All of it. There was no sowing or reaping that year. All slaves were freed. In other words, It was great. Now, unfortunately, there is no record in the history of Israel that they ever celebrated the Jubilee year. There is no record that they actually did it. Because they'd lose money. They'd lose slaves. People that owed them money, they'd never get it. So what the Jubilee year came to symbolize was that's the way it's going to be when the Messiah comes. That's the way it's going to be when God sets up his rule on this earth. No more debt. No more slaves, no more property exchange, none of that. So when Jesus says he's going to proclaim or or proclaim the um, year of the Lord's favor, that's the Jubilee year. That's the year that everybody knew about, but they never did anything about it. But only the Messiah could bring that. So in other words, 
these verses clearly point out what the Messiah will do. Now, certainly, certainly there was misunderstanding by some of them of what this meant. Certainly some would say that uh, to proclaim liberty to the captives is to mean freedom from Rome. Okay? So certainly there was misunderstanding here. But Jesus is going to fulfill that which has been prophesied about him. What has been prophesied about the Messiah from the beginning. He's going to fulfill all of it. And that's why he says, me. Now, so what happens? And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. The term eyes in the Gospel of Luke is a very important term. Eyes either understand or eyes misunderstand. That's the way he uses them. But everybody is waiting to hear what he's going to say. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Messiah is sitting in their synagogue. I am he. I am the one that's going to do all these things. I'm the one that's going to bring release. I'm the one that's going to bring the year of the Lord's favor. Today. Today. The kingdom of God is present in the person of Jesus Christ. When he says the kingdom of God has come near, he's standing there. I'm here. I am the kingdom of God. I'm the one that's going to proclaim. I'm the one that's going to release. I'm the one that's going to bring the year of the Lord's favor. I'm the one. The kingdom of God is present in him. It's going to be a ministry of release. And by the way, the word release is also the word for forgiveness. It's going to be a ministry of release from all that binds human beings. Sickness, sin, death, demon possession, natural disaster, you name it. He heals the sick, he casts out the demons, he raises the dead, he forgives sins, 
He stills the storm. All of it. Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting for the Messiah. And now he's this guy that they know is Joseph's son sitting in their synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I mean, this, this you can't make this up any better than that. Okay? This is the real thing. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of all prophecy. He is the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. It has all arrived in him. And he's sitting right there. This is the way Luke begins the ministry of Jesus. In detail. As the fulfillment of the prophecy. All right, let me stop there and see if you've got any thoughts or questions. Yeah, Don? Nope. Well, uh, yes. Okay, so the Jubilee year is described in detail in Leviticus chapter 25. And they were supposed to celebrate it every 50 years. As I say, there is no record they ever did it. So it never was celebrated, and over time it became the symbol of what it's going to be like when the Messiah comes. Then we'll have the Jubilee year. At the end, whenever that is, whenever he comes. So, um, yeah, so, so the Jubilee year is, is a picture of what it's going to be like at the end of time end of time. Yes. Oh, the three years of Jesus' ministry, it's usually the year of obscurity, the year of uh, uh, popularity, and the year of uh, opposition. All right, now. So, verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. So this is kind of not negative, but not positive. Okay? Kind of neutral. They certainly didn't understand the ramifications of what he just said. Nice words, pastor. Nice sermon, pastor. I just hate that. I, I want to say you stabbed me in the heart today, Pastor, or I feel a lot better. Nice sermon, Pastor. Okay. So they were impressed with his gracious words, 
But then they ask, is not this Joseph's son? Okay, don't we know this guy? And the implication is, how can he speak this way? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. We have heard you did it, uh, we have heard what you did at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. Okay. Jesus is cutting to the chase. He had done miracles in Capernaum. That's where he changed water into wine. What? Cana, yeah. That's near. Same area. And the fact is that he knows in his heart. Jesus knows they want him, they want to see him do miracles. They want to see him do miracles. You want me to do the same things you've heard I did in Capernaum. All right? He knows what they're looking for. And uh, the fact is, he is not going to do any miracles. In Nazareth. None. So he says, and he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his home town. Okay. No prophet is acceptable in his home town. So, um, they're not going to accept him there based on what he says. They want to see miracles. Okay? So then he gives two scathing examples. Scathing examples. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. Remember the story? Stopped raining. God shut down the rain. Elijah lived in the wilderness, just like John, okay? He ate whatever the ravens brought him, roadkill, and he drank from the stream for three and a half years. When the rain, during this time, it says there were lots of widows in Israel 
but he didn't go to any of them. Who did he go to? And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Why does this pick a fight with the people of Nazareth? Because this widow was a Gentile. He did not, God did not choose for Elijah to perform a miracle to Jews, but to a Gentile woman. That's a good way to pick a fight. Good way. But there's something else going on here. Jesus is already foreshadowing, telling of the fact that ultimately the Jews are going to reject him and the message of the gospel will go to the Gentiles, ultimately through the Apostle Paul. He's already pointing to the fact that they will reject him. It's already there. So, Elijah goes to a Gentile woman. That's the first example. Let's look at the next one. And there were many lepers in Israel in the day of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Elisha didn't cleanse the lepers in Israel, but when Naaman uh, came, sent from the king of Assyria, Elijah healed him, a Gentile a Gentile. So Jesus is making it clear. Now, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. It is very clear now Jesus is not going to be the kind of Messiah they want. He's not going to do what they want. He's not going to do great signs like he did elsewhere. The fact is... He's going to be the kind of Messiah God sent him to be. But it's not what the people wanted. It's not what the people wanted. They wanted to see miracles. And he's not going to do anything.
Yeah, it sounds good. But Jesus didn't do that. In fact, the fastest way to get him to do no miracles is to ask for one. He did miracles to confirm his teaching, but only if and when he thought it was necessary. Ruth. That's correct. That's right. Uh, Ruth said that he's reading their hearts. And he saw that their hearts wanted miracles, wanted the sideshow. And they were hearts of unbelief. They had to be uh, proved through these miracles. Well, that's not. Jesus wanted or calls people to believe not by miracles, but by the word. By the word. All right, so they reject him. All right, they were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. And then he performs a miracle. And passing through their midst, he went away. Got all these angry people around, and he just walks off. There's the miracle. But they wouldn't see it as one. They wouldn't see it as one. And why did he just pass through? Because, because he wasn't ready. You do things on God's time. You do things on God's time. All right, here we go. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Boy, uh, we've tried for years to see just what, what that is. Have you ever heard a speaker that was so well-versed and so good, you just said, that person knows what he's talking about? Well triple that, and that's what Jesus was. They could tell this guy was not just blowing smoke. Okay? He spoke with authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, Luke does something that was really telling. When you read the Gospel of Luke, 
for the first eight chapters, the only one that the only ones that correctly identify who Jesus is are demons. Eight chapters. Only the demons know who he is. The first human being to declare who Jesus is is in Luke chapter 9, and it's Peter and his confession. Up until then, the demons are the only ones that know, and they know exactly who he is. Isn't that sad? That human beings can't recognize Jesus, but devils can. That's sad. So now we see his ministry of release beginning. Jesus had come to destroy the demons and their hold on human beings. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. So Jesus now begins the ministry of release. He's going to do this. He cast out this demon uh, once and for all, this demon. Ultimately, he would conquer all. He would conquer all Satan and his power, but that would not be until the cross. That would not be until the cross. So the ministry of release has begun. They know who he is, and they know what he can do. Now, I want to uh, kind of sum up the next part because it's very, uh, it's very telling. So, so let's, okay. So they were amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now, his ministry continues. And he rose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them, and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Now, here's what we need to notice here. The word rebuke 
is used three times. Once in verse 35, where he rebukes the demons, the demon. 39, he rebukes the fever. And 41, he rebukes demons again. He rebukes what binds human beings. He rebukes what binds human beings. Okay? That's what he's doing. At the same time, the demons call him the Holy One of God, the Son of God, and they know he's the Christ. So they know who he is, but he's rebuking, releasing human beings from the grip of those things. He's releasing human beings from the grip of those things, of those things. So what Isaiah prophesied is now coming true. The poor, remember we define the poor as those who were bound by sin, death, and Satan. So he releases the man who was possessed with an unclean spirit. He releases Peter's mother-in-law who was sick. He releases and heals many more. So he is doing, the, these first miracles are to show that he is doing exactly what he said he was going to do in Isaiah chapter 61. It's being fulfilled with each of his actions with each of his actions, to do the work, not that people want him to do, but the work that God sent him to do. All right, questions, comments? No, unfortunately, even with these things, even with him right there doing these things, people do not see. Remember I said in, in Luke, eyes is used over and over, either misunderstanding or understanding. When it says their eyes were opened, that means that God has given them understanding. Yeah, the pocketbook. Oh, and by the way, Luke has more about the abuse of money than any other gospel. Yeah. That is correct. That is correct. Uh, the comment is that the people had hundreds of years, hundreds of years to formulate what they thought the Messiah would do. And it was all off base. It did not focus on the spiritual. It focused on the physical. So the great enemies were Babylon and Assyria 
and Egypt and Rome instead of sin, death, and Satan. It, it, it was very temporal for them. Um, and, and you can see how they didn't want to do it because of the loss, uh, the, the description of the Jubilee year. But it's trying to get at something that's bigger, okay? A world where there's forgiveness, a world where there's no debt, a world where you don't mistreat other people. They missed that. They missed that. And so uh, Jesus not only teaches and preaches what they what they don't want to hear. They want to hear another message. He's not only fighting sin, death, and Satan, he's fighting the people because they're resisting too. And yeah, and it still goes on today that people resist the message. They resist the message. It's no different today. Uh, it's no different today. Other things. That clock's not right, by the way. Who, who's in charge of adjusting the clocks here, Mr. President? <laughs> All right, anything else? I have no idea who's teaching next week. But it's not me. And uh, we rejoice today with the uh, installation of Matthew. And we celebrate Mark's many years of work in two weeks. Yep. I have some stories I could tell about Mr. Bender. 20 years worth. And he has a bunch that he could tell about me. So we've sworn to keep quiet. Okay? All right, let's close. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.